Hi everybody, my name is Roger Manning and once again it's Excellentia Surgery Center Chat. On this episode we're going to talk about drills and I have Kathy Montgomery with me right now and Kathy I guess I posed the question why are we talking about drills today? Well there seems to be a lot of confusion about the various drills that we are required to do by state, by federal and by those of you that are accredited, specifically by AAA or any of the other accrediting organizations. So just to clarify, we need to do, as far as CMS is concerned, four fire drills, one every quarter. And those fire drills need to be at random times. So if a surveyor comes in and sees that you're doing them every quarter at 7 a.m., they're going to say, oh, this was, too, this was too focused. This is not a random drill. So that's your first situation. The second situation is that you need to have proof that you have pulled the alarm. And that's going to be from your monitoring company. So obtain that information, put it with your drill, and put it in your governing body minutes. In addition to that, and Sandy Barrett, who's with me today from AAA, is going to speak to this as well, you need to make sure that the assessment of those drills predicts whether it was good, whether it was bad, what you can do to improve. So those are the fire drills. Then in addition to that, CMS requires that every year you do a drill on a code blue, a CPR, whatever you want to call it. But the reality is it's once a year. I run into a lot of centers that are doing these quarterlies. I'm not sure why, but that's not necessary. But it's really a cool, really you know, awesome thing if you can involve your anesthesia providers to assist you with those drills because that's their that's their you know what their world that's what they do um, so I think to have that as a annual event is an option is you know an opportunity then one more drill would be if you have triggering agents in your facility you would need to do an MH drill so that would be an additional drill then in addition to that, now I'm going to let Sandy talk about what AAA requires for the quarterly disaster drills. So this is such a uh, confusing subject, we had to bring in the big guns then, huh? Right. Sandy is one of our top AAA HC surveyors and keeps herself very busy all around the country. Sandy, go ahead and give us some of your insights. Emergency drills, as you both know, um, are there are questions about them every Every time I go into a surgery center and start talking about emergency drills, a lot of times I see people look at me with a deer in the headlights look and go, what do you mean? I, I don't understand. And so that's one of the reasons we're finding this really important to talk about today is just exactly what are the requirements both for Triple HC and for CMS. Now, HHC looks at a little bit differently. We do expect you to have four complete fire drills. They must be scenario-based. And that doesn't mean there was a fire in the trash can, what did you do? 
You want to make them a scenario that's believable, that your staff will be able to react to. Research shows that simulating an emergency situation can effectively prepare organizations for these kinds of emergencies. We want to practice active learning, which will help us understand the behaviors that should become almost automatic. So therefore, we want to practice in scenario type drills. You must have, as Kathy mentioned, four of them, and they must be one a quarter. If you have overnight services, you have to remember that one of the drills needs to be between the time of 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. When you do those or that drill, you don't have to pull the fire alarm because you don't need to wake up your sleeping patients. But you do need to have a scenario-based drill simulating what you would do in that situation. Again, we go back to AAAHC. We at AAAHC expect you to do four other drills. One must be a CPR drill. And again, as Kathy mentioned, if you have uh, the incident of MH, malignant hyperthermia, then you must simulate a hyperthermia drill. And then you have two other internal or external drills. Your internal drills can be a million different things that happen, you know, usually once a month if you, if you pay attention. Uh, from water leaking in your roof to a patient walking out of your surgery center in North Dakota and slipping on the ice. These are all internal drills. Then you have external drills. And those are the drills that most of us think about. What is an external drill? Those can be tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, flooding, uh, any one of those you can consider as an external drill. The one thing I caution you about is don't confuse your fire drills for internal drills. These are two separate types of drills. Kathy, do you have any questions about that? Yeah, I, I get questions about this all the time. I, I tell you, drills are just such a conundrum right now. But I will say that there's a couple of opportunities here. And one of them is that if you have a real event, you get to count that as a drill. So if you have a patient that falls, if you have a patient that codes, you get to count those as one of your drills because it was a real event. But the issue is that way you document it. You need to make sure that you're documenting what happened, when it happened, how it happened, how you reacted, and what was the outcome. So all of those, all of those issues, whether it's a real drill or you know, just a scenario, they all need to be documented. So that's one thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about is with our emergency operations plan, we are required to do a community drill once a year. This is not the same as your disaster drills. It is not the same as your fire drills. It's a totally separate event. 
What CMS is asking us to do is connect with our community to make sure that we're engaged and that if a hurricane happened, if a tornado happened, we are in tandem with our colleagues in terms of what needs to happen, what we can do to help each other, what they can do to help us, what we can do to help them. So that is a separate, totally separate drill. Now that drill, by the way, used to be twice a year, but now they, CMS has enhanced that. And so it's once a year. Once a year, you do a boots on the ground, I'm going to call it. And then the next year, you can do a tabletop, which is where you just have a discussion. You have an um, explanation of what's, what is the possibilities. Those again, should be community-based. What is your community? It could be, if you're in a strip mall, it could be all those residents that live in your building, that live in your strip mall, and if you don't have that access and your county doesn't do anything special, then you have to do it internally. Sandy, you can probably talk a little bit more about that as how AAA looks at it. Actually, I, I was going to interrupt you about that. Um, I want you all to know that community-based drills can be difficult to, to be active with. Number one, it's really difficult to find who in the community I need to talk to. Do I call the mayor and say, hey, I'm an ASC available to help in community drills? Do I call the health department in our communities? The number one key is to contact your hospital and ask them who they work with if you don't know. Many, many communities now have a resource that talks about drills. I'd like to talk about California because California and Arizona both have these great, the great California shakeout, the great Arizona shakeout. Those are the great opportunities for people in California and Arizona to practice a community drill. The other thing I want you all to know is if you send an email to somebody in your community, make sure you save that. That needs to be reported to your governing body and it should be kept with your governing body communication. Now, if you never get an answer back, and CMS or Triple HC walks in, you can show them that you made every effort to do that. And that's really important. The other thing you want to remember is that your policy can also state that if there is a all-out disaster drill, your staff may be just told to go home. Many of your staff members probably have friends and neighbors that work at the local hospitals. These are the time when they need volunteers at the hospital or at different sites. Those might be your options when you, your surgery center, can't really participate. So make that part of your drill scenario. The last thing I, or one of the things that I wanted to mention again was what does a drill look like? And I often have organizations that they have no clue. And what they've done is they've taken a template from somebody and they use the template, but they don't go any farther than 
what the template says. And, and that's just really not what you want to do to show that you're really participating. So again, uh, Kathy's mentioned it, and I'll mention it one more time. It needs to be scenario-based. And then you need to include three questions and answers. The first thing you want to include is, what did we do right? Did we, did we do this right? The second thing you want to answer is, how do we need to improve this process? The, the best thing for this is when you're doing the evacuation, somebody goes to the wrong tree. Um, and then lastly, we want to be able to identify how we improved that situation. It can't just be we held an in-service and everyone went through training again. We need to identify and then define how we made the improvement. And so lastly, one of the things we, we want to talk about in drills, and you want to make a drill as real life as you possibly can. And you want to involve as many of the relevant staff as you can. For instance, anesthesia providers in our surgery centers often just let us do our drills, and, and they really don't participate. But the fact of the matter is, is if you truly did have a drill, anesthesia is going to have to wake up a patient very quickly. They will need to be able to preserve the airway and the life of that patient. Have them practice that. Make sure that these kinds of skills are ingrained in the way that they behave. So make anesthesia responsible. Make sure that there's teamwork that's developed during the simulations. Make sure that you talk about what you need to do together. For instance, if you're on a second floor of a building, how do you get your patients from floor two down to floor one and safely out to the designated tree that we have already assigned? How do we do that? What if our patient just had a knee arthroscopy? What if our patient just had a total knee or a total hip? How do we get those patients from floor two down to floor one? What if you're in a building that has four stories? And what if you're on the fourth floor? How do you get those patients out to preserve life and to keep our patients as safe as we possibly can? We have to make sure that we know how to do it. We must have a readiness plan, and we have to be able to respond as if that's true. Now, one of the things that we often talk about is you don't have to do these kind of simulations with real patients. Have a couple of your staff people be disabled and, and cannot get to where you want them to be. Talk about when the elevator is out. How do we get down to first floor? These are all parts of that simulation you must include in your drills. And this has to do with whether you're doing a fire drill or an internal drill and actually even an external drill. If we're going to have a tornado, we have to make sure that our patient is safe. So if we have a code black or your designated code name, we have to make sure that we are guaranteeing our patient's safety. How do we do that? Do we have time? 
How do we do that? That's your main question. Did you know that becoming an Excellentia All Access e-member that you can see all of our future webinars absolutely free? Not only do you get to see them, but can allow your staff and providers to sit in on the webinar and receive the benefits of the training as well as receive contact hours and certificates of participation for no additional cost. Check out the All Access e-membership on our website at www.excellentiagroup.com and look out for the e-membership info menu tab. Kathy, what else can you talk about? Well, I just wanted to mention, just to kind of remind everybody where this all came from. Back in the day, several years ago, there was a situation in Florida where there was a power outage and multiple patients passed away in a nursing home because they were not coordinated with the hospital that was I believe, next door, that could have helped them. And so that's what CMS is asking us to do. That's where this all born from. They want us to try to work together to support each other. Now, many of you are going to tell me that you've looked for community drills and you couldn't find one. Well, I'm going to tell you, you need to keep looking because many of the counties and the cities and the states are getting more efficient about this. I can tell you that in Ohio, it's regulated that if you're in a multi-story building, when you do a fire drill, everybody needs to be involved. Even if it's a pharmacy upstairs, even if it's a doctor's office upstairs, the rules are they all need to be involved. I can tell you that in uh, Virginia, when we have had situations in the past, they are very aggressive about calling our surgery centers. They called them in the morning to see how they were doing. They called them at the end of the day to make sure that everything was safe and that they knew what to do tomorrow. In Indiana, they break it up in counties and they have drills. They have tabletops. They have boots on the ground. So don't think that it's just impossible for you to find this. I can tell you here in St. Louis, I have a surgery center that I work with, and I sent them to a community drill at Barnes Hospital, which is one of our major hospitals here, and guess who was there? The state surveyors. So if you would have not gone, and then next week the state surveyors come in, and you say, oh, I can't find a community drill, they're going to say, oh, I don't think so. So I think it's important to really continue to evaluate what's going on in your area. Well, Kathy, these surgery centers are not on an island by themselves. Isn't it feasible that many friendly centers could get together and do it as a group or maybe the Absolutely. state association, the groups could get together? And Abs Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if we can't find anybody that wants to work with us, we at least need to do it together. And in most states, there's, there's a myriad of surgery centers. So I think that it would be an awesome opportunity to make that happen. So, Kathy, before we finish for uh, our session today, I just want to talk about a new standard that has come to light in the AAAHC V42 standards. And that happens to be in Chapter 4, our beloved quality of care chapter. And uh, that is element standard H. And one of what this is talking about is exactly what we're talking about, except one step 
further. It talks about the written procedures for managing medical emergencies and unplanned outcomes for which transfer to the next higher level of care is indicated. And we must be able to evaluate and stabilize the patient. So when you're practicing your code blue drill, you may want to evaluate what your process is to transfer your patient to the next level of care. There are five elements that you need to consider when transferring a patient, i.e. for a malignant hyperthermia or code blue, or maybe just they're not breathing anymore. Uh, so these are uh, your procedural elements. And so I'm going to read them. If you have any questions afterwards, Kathy will have this information for you. But the procedure needs to address decision-making authority for transferring the patient. Is it the doctor? Is it your medical director? Is it your anesthesia provider? Is it a nurse? You need to be able to tell in paper, on writing, who is that authority. You need to be able to include the exact process for transferring a patient, i.e., we call 911 or maybe we have a special number that we call for an ambulance that is not an emergent situation, it's just a transfer situation. Know that process, have it written down. The process also needs to include the provision for caring for the patient until the transfer can occur. So if you have a patient in third degree block, how are we going to maintain that patient's heart rate while we're waiting for the ambulance to come? Know the exact time it takes for an ambulance under normal circumstances. So if you call 911, does it take five minutes? Does it take 15 minutes? Does it take 20 minutes? What if you're in the middle of the flood? How do I get patient uh, Mr. Smith to the hospital if, if the roads are out. We have to think about those things, and that needs to be included in your new process, in your written procedure. Next, you have to have the procedure written that, doc, that identifies the documents that go with the patient. So many of us still call it a face sheet. So does the face sheet go? Is there orders that go? What exactly goes with the patient? For some of you, you might actually be working on EPIC. Do you have to do anything? Because EPIC anywhere can give access, the hospital access to your records immediately. And lastly, documentation must demonstrate that your, your staff is qualified to take care of these patients. So one of the standards in another chapter talks about having two ACLS trained nurses at the bedside or able to be at the bedside at any one given time when patients are in your center. So you need to make sure that you include that in your, your new written uh, procedures. Kathy, do you have any questions about that? I know I kind of brought that in, and, and I'm just wondering, 
if you have any questions. No, I think you did a great job of articulating what the regulations are going to expect from us. Well, I, I think that everyone who's listening, I think it is just so important to know what the expectations are. So when surveyors come, you're, you feel confident and ready to answer their questions. The other thing, which is ultimate in in Kathy and in Roger and in my minds is patient safety. This is all about keeping our patients safe, giving them high quality care, even when things don't go the way they were anticipated. Well, exactly. And the reality is most of us on a day-to-day basis, we don't run into issues, but oh my goodness, the day that it happens, what the heck? I mean, we've got to be ready right? We do. It is so important that it's an automatic response. I often tell the story about a provider that had just had an MI, and when he returned to work, I asked him to kind of tease the staff a little bit and maybe pretend that he's having chest pain. I will tell you that that was probably one of the worst decisions I've ever made as an administrator because this doctor went overboard. He actually slid to the floor and acted like he was out. My staff were almost held breathless. They didn't know what to do. And that was very frightening to them when it came down to it. Now, you and I laugh about it when I tell the story, but... The staff were, were really frightened for this doctor. And so those are the things you don't want to happen. You want your staff to just jump in and know exactly what their role is in any drill that they do. Well, and there's, no, there's clearly no doubt that none of us can anticipate what the worst case scenario is going to be. I mean, we can dream up all these drills, we can come up with all these scenarios, and something's going to happen that we never even thought of. <laughs> but at least, at least we'll be on our feet, we'll be thinking <laughs> about it, um, and, and can react quickly. Absolutely. The most important thing with drills is preparation. Right, right. And, and being able to think forward. I think that's the main thing. So, well, I I appreciate everybody attending today. I think this was really helpful. I hope that it was helpful um, because I know that drills are often a highly cited scenario. And don't forget that there is a huge expectation by most surveyors that you, at some point in your life, do a OR fire drill, something, a fire that happens in the OR. So put that on your radar Make sure that it's on your list, and let's go with it. Well, thank you, Kathy and Sandy. Again, a lot of very good and useful information. We hear all the time, many of you are frustrated finding the time, the resources, the camaraderie, the providers buy in on putting drills together. But uh, don't let these frustrations get the best of you. If you need somebody to talk, Excellentia Advisor Group is there to listen perhaps offer you some suggestions and maybe some solutions. So reach out to Kathy Montgomery. She can be reached day or night. It seems like 24 hours 7 is kind of the way we operate. 636-219-6045 or kathy at excellentiagroup.com. 
Now, if you have any suggestions for a future podcast, or let's say some special challenges that you haven't heard anybody address yet from your association, the National Association, other consultants, and you want to throw it our way, give us a challenge that we might put together a presentation or uh, get together on a podcast with some answers, please run that by me, Roger, at excellentiagroup.com. We do a lot of travel, so just be a little patient, but we promise to get back with you within 24 hours. Thank you again for attending this episode of Excellentia Surgery Center Chat and All About Drills. Be sure to find us on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and Spotify, and subscribe so you can get updates whenever we release new episodes. Did you love this episode of Excellentia Podcast? Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher to help us get the word out. Thanks for tuning in.